In 2010, former President George Bush released a book called Decision Points. The book focused on various points in his life and his presidency when he had to make big decisions. The decisions included his decision to stop drinking, to run for public office, and of course, how to respond to the events of 9-11. And you don't have to appreciate President Bush's policies or politics to appreciate the fact that he made some big and some tough decisions. Some of the decisions that he made were life-altering for him, and others affected the entire nation. Now, chances are none of us will ever have to make 9-11 type decisions, but there will be various decision points in our lives. A decision point is a critical moment in our lives when we're put to the test. And generally, how we respond to this decision point will impact the course of our lives for years to come. Our decision point may come when a spouse leaves us. Our decision point can come when a loved one dies unexpectedly. Our decision point can come during a financial crisis. Our decision point can come during a time of temptation. Our decision point can come when our boss tells us that we have to do something that will compromise our integrity. Our decision point can come when someone we thought was a friend betrays us. Our decision point can come when we are verbally attacked. Our decision point can come when we are diagnosed with a serious and unexpected illness. And really, our decision point can come in as many different ways as there are people in the room this morning. But our decision points have two things in common. It is a critical moment in our lives where we must make a decision. And that decision will have a far-reaching effect in our lives. There is one decision point that all people share in. This decision is the greatest decision point we will ever face. And our decision and this decision point will impact our lives now and for all of eternity. This is our decision point regarding Jesus. Today we're going to look at a story and see what happened when Jesus brought people to a place where they faced this decision point so that we can learn from their experience. Go ahead and open your Bible to John chapter 6, page 815 if you have a pew Bible. And when you find that, I'll ask you to stand to honor the reading of God's word. John chapter 6 and verse 60 says, Therefore, many of his disciples, when they heard this, said, This is a hard saying. Who can understand it? When Jesus knew in himself that his disciples complained about this, he said to them, Does this offend you? What then if you should see the Son of Man ascend where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The word that I speak to you, they are spirit and they are life. There are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who they were who did not believe and who would betray him. And he said, therefore, I said to you that no one can come to me unless it has been granted to him by my father. And from that time, many of the disciples went back and walked with him no more. Then Jesus said to the twelve, do you also want to go away? Simon Peter answered him and said, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Also, we have come to believe and know that you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus answered, answered them. Did I not choose you, the twelve, and one of you is a devil? He spoke of Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon, for he was the one who would betray him, being one of the twelve. Tom, the message this morning is decision points. Let's pray. Our Father, we love you. God, you are great and awesome and worthy of our praise and worthy of our devotion. And Father, we come today with a desire to learn from your word. We want to be faithful followers of Jesus Christ. We want to be challenged in our spiritual lives and drawn closer to you. We ask you right now, Help us to lay aside the cares of this life and to focus on your word and what you're speaking to us. We ask you right now to come and let your spirit prepare our hearts to receive your word and to be challenged by it. We ask you right now to deal with us as beloved sons and daughters. We ask you to show us where we failed you. We ask you to show us where we need to change. We ask you to show us if we have 
fallen back in our relationship with you. We need you to show us, Father, today if we have never trusted in you for our salvation. We want you to do a work in our lives that only you can do. We want to leave here this morning and we want to go out and be different the rest of the week because of what happened in this place today. We know that your word is living and active. We know that you are here and that you're at work and that your spirit is mighty and powerful. And so we ask you today, let your word be powerful in our lives. Let your spirit work in our lives. Let us be aware of the living God at work in our midst. We love you. We praise you. I ask you to fill me with your Holy Spirit. Give me clarity of thought and clarity of speech that I could speak your words in your ways and not be a hindrance in any way to what you want done. We love you, Lord. You are so good and so gracious. We ask these things in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. You may be seated. Now we're coming to the end of John chapter 6, which is an exciting passage. John 6 is filled with all kinds of really neat teaching and really exciting things. And up to this point, everything that's happened in John chapter 6 has been kind of, well, it's been uplifting. It's been something that the people who saw it were pretty excited about. Jesus has done some great miracles. He has fed them in miraculous ways. The people have been amazed at the things he has done. And everything went well until Jesus began to change gears. And he changed from doing things for them to telling them things about himself. And as he began to tell them things about himself, he began to tell them hard things. Like he told them that I am the bread from heaven. He told them that unless they eat his flesh and they drink his blood, they cannot have eternal life. And these were were hard things for them to understand. These were hard things for them to accept. And so Jesus asked them in, in verse 61, does this offend you? Right? Because they were they began to complain about this. Who can accept what you're saying? And Jesus asked them, does this offend you? And what he's asking them is, are you going to turn away? Are you going to turn from me and walk with me no more? See, he had brought them to a place where they must make a decision. This was a a decision point in their lives. And now they must make a decision about Jesus. Now, what Jesus did here, it's not unique to this place. He does it all throughout the Gospels. Jesus always works in people's lives. Everything he said and everything he did, he brought those that heard and those that saw to a place where they must make a decision about him. And what he did in the Bible, he does in our lives today. He works in us and he deals with us and he brings us to a place where we must make a decision about Jesus. And that is that is the main thing to understand today is that that I must make a decision about Jesus. There is no neutral ground. I must decide about Jesus. And in this passage, there are three decisions that make up this one decision point about Jesus. First, I must decide about the words of Jesus. I must decide about the words of Jesus. Jesus has has said some things. He has said he is the bread of life that came down from heaven, which shocked them. How could he come from heaven? He has said they must eat his flesh and they must drink his blood if they are to have eternal life. And they are bewildered by this. What could this possibly mean? How could he possibly be the bread that came down from heaven? And, and in their mind, they're thinking, how can we eat his flesh and they drink his blood? And I think what we see is their misunderstanding. Jesus isn't physically saying they have to eat his flesh and drink his blood. He he doesn't have any sort of a sacramental system in mind. 
Right. Instead, he's talking about the spirit and the word. Look at what he says in verse 63. It is the spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak to you, they are spirit and they are life. And frequently what Jesus does is he speaks in a way that it takes the spirit of God to make people understand it. Now think about, for instance, Nicodemus. Nicodemus comes to Jesus and he says, obviously, you're a teacher that comes from God, for no one could do the things you do otherwise. And Jesus said, you must be born again. And Nicodemus is questioned. How can a man be born again when he is old? Can I climb back into my mother's womb? But he was thinking of a physical birth when Jesus was talking about a spiritual birth. In in the next chapter, John chapter 4, Jesus is talking to a woman at the well and he says, I can give you living water. And she says, oh, give me this water every day so that I don't have to come back to this well and draw water. She wanted physical water. And Jesus was talking about spiritual water. And in both cases, the spiritual thing that he was talking about was the Holy Spirit. It was the Holy Spirit that made Nicodemus born again. It was the water of life was the spirit of God that came into us when we believe in Jesus. And what he's saying is the words that I speak, the Holy Spirit, he takes them. And he makes them real to us. And he gives life through them. See, they were brought to a place where they were going to have to make a decision about the things Jesus had said. Could they accept Jesus is who he says he is? Because he said a lot. He said he is the son of God. He has said that he is the only one who gives eternal life, the final judge. He has said a lot about himself and about what he requires of those who follow him. And they have been brought to a place where now they must decide. Can I accept and can I embrace the words that Jesus has spoken? And in our lives as we Try to decide about Jesus. One of the things we have to decide about are the things that Jesus has said. Jesus has said a lot about who he is. Jesus has said a lot about what it means to follow him. He has made very real demands on the lives of those who want what he offers. And so we must decide, can I accept this? Can I embrace this? Let me give you some examples. Just a couple. John 3 and 3. Jesus answered and said to him, Most assuredly I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Now, again, I just mentioned that verse, but what we forget is that Nicodemus, Nicodemus was a well-respected teacher, religious teacher in Israel. He was a, a man of good moral character. He was already religious. He was doing a lot of things, sort of in the name of God. And what Jesus said to him is, that's not enough, Nicodemus. Your morals won't save you. Your religious activities won't save you. If you want to be a part of my kingdom, God's kingdom, you must be born again through faith in me. And it's a work of the Spirit. You can't fix yourself and make it happen. Let me ask you, can you accept and embrace the fact that on your own, you cannot enter the kingdom of God? Can you accept and embrace the fact that by yourself, you will never make it? Can you accept and embrace the fact that your morals 
do not equal being saved. Can you accept and embrace the fact that your religious activities do not equal devotion to Jesus Christ? See, we have to wrestle with the fact that we can't save ourselves. That only the Spirit of God can change us and make us new. And it only comes when we believe in Jesus. And I must fully trust in Him. Not in me in any way, shape, form, or fashion. Can I let go of my self-righteousness? Can I let go of my own goodness? And can I cling just to Jesus? Can I accept and embrace? Apart from Jesus, I am not good enough. We have to wrestle with that. Also, Jesus made this statement. He said, he said to them all, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and is himself destroyed or lost? See, Jesus brought these people to a decision point as well. And he brought them to a decision point about whether or not they would meet the demands that he listed. And he said that to follow him is what it takes. Self-denial. That means I can't. I can't focus on my will and my wants above all else. I, I have to deny myself and I have to take up my cross and I have to do both of these things daily. Right? I, I can't be selfish and be a disciple of Jesus Christ. There is, there is no such thing as a selfish disciple of Jesus Christ. It is an, an oxymoron. Like, you know, Microsoft works. It, it's just, it doesn't, it's not real. You cannot be a selfish disciple. To follow Him means deny yourself. Take up your cross. Follow Him. Now, we don't have to do that though. We can, He says, keep our lives for ourselves. But notice the result of that. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. Right, so, so I don't actually have to live a life of self-denial and take up my cross. Instead, I can live for myself. I can be selfish. I can do what I will and what I want. But I lose out eternally in the process. On the other hand, if I lose my life on this earth for Jesus and for his sake, then I save it for eternity. And then he said, what is it? <laughs> what, what gain is there to gain everything you want in this life? To live for yourself and accomplish everything you ever dreamed. To experience everything you wanted to experience. To, to touch and taste and do everything you've ever wanted to do. But still miss out eternally. What, what profit is that? What a waste of a life. Let me ask you, can you accept and embrace the fact that to be a disciple of Jesus Christ, you cannot be selfish? Can you accept and embrace the fact that to be a disciple of Jesus Christ, you must every day of your life deny yourself? Because every day of your life, you're going to be tempted to do something that goes against what he wants you to do. Every day of your life, the world, the flesh and the devil are going to pull you in opposite directions and you're going to want to do them. And you must decide to deny what I want so that I can do 
what he wants. Can you accept and embrace that and become a follower of Jesus Christ? And that's something we have to wrestle with. That that is a, a decision point that we have to make. Now Jesus said to these people, verse 64, but there are some of you who do not believe. For he knew from the beginning of those who didn't believe and those who would betray him. These people were not going to make the right decision. The decision they were going to make was to turn and to walk away. And we'll talk about that in a minute. The thing is, if we're going to decide about Jesus, we have to deal with his words. Not what we imagine Jesus to be like. Not what our culture says Jesus is like. But what the Bible tells us Jesus is like. There are four Gospels that focus on the life, the ministry, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus. And he says lots of stuff like this. The thing about the the words of Jesus is, they're almost never hard to understand. They're very clear. The difficulty comes in accepting them. Like that. That's very clear what it means. But gosh, am I willing to do that? Am I willing to deny myself? Am I willing to take up my cross? We must decide about the words of Jesus. Secondly, I must decide about why I want Jesus. Now, there's a huge crowd following Jesus at this point. Lots of folks. And they're following for a variety of reasons. So Jesus, he kind of tells them in verse 65... Therefore, I've said to you that no one can come to me unless it had been granted by my father. That's a repeat of what he said in verse 44. And what he says is, no one just really takes it upon themselves to come after me. Not really. If someone truly has a desire to come and to follow me, that is a God-given desire. That is God at work in their lives. That is God dealing with them and showing them their need so that they would turn to me and they would come to me. But again, we're going to see that some of these folks are going to walk away so How is it that if God drew them to Jesus, they turned away from Jesus and they didn't follow him? Well, the answer lies in why they came to Jesus. Look at actually verse 22 of chapter 6. It says, On the following day, when the people were standing on the other side of the sea where Jesus was, no other boat was there except for the one which his disciples had entered and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples and the disciples had gone away alone however other boats came from Tiberias near the place where they ate bread and, and keep that thought in your mind after the Lord had given thanks and when the people therefore saw that Jesus was not there nor his disciples they came or they got into boats and came to Capernaum seeking Jesus now that sounds great right seeking Jesus and when they found him on the other side of the sea they said to him rabbi when did you come here at this point Jesus has fed a multitude just a few loaves and a few fish. And they, they sought him and they were looking for him. And man, you think that's perfect. That's exactly what we want people to do, to seek Jesus. But notice how Jesus responds. Most assuredly, I say to you, you seek me not because you saw the signs, but because you ate the bread and were filled. Do not labor for food which perishes, but for the food which endures to everlasting life, which the Son of Man will give you, because God the Father has set his seal on him. See, they weren't seeking Jesus because they saw what he did and recognized he was the Messiah. 
They weren't seeking Jesus because they they realized he would save them from their sin and give them eternal life. They were seeking Jesus because Jesus fed them and they figured if they followed him some more, he might feed them some more. So they were seeking Jesus not for who he was, but for what he could give them, what he could do for them in this life. They had selfish motives for seeking him. And that's why Jesus said, no one can come to me unless the father grants it, unless the father draws him. Because when God draws us, we don't come to Jesus for selfish motives. We come to Jesus because of who he is and the salvation that he offers, not just for what he can do for us in this life, but on our own, apart from the spirit working in us. We always come to Jesus out of selfish motives. Right? Because what happens is, a lot of times, we'll have a, a problem, right? A, a massive bad thing will come into our lives. A loved one dies. Uh, our marriage is dissolving. Our finances are ruined. We get a bad test result. You, you name it. Something bad happens. And so we're looking for something, anything, that will fix the immediate circumstances of our lives. So we, we come to church. Because we've heard that there's this Jesus guy who can do all things. Now listen, it is good when people seek Jesus when there are storms that come into their life. I believe that when people outside the church come to church when there are problems in their life, it's because they know there's something real here. It's because they know that they need something that's bigger than themselves. And we need to help those people come to know Jesus Christ. So that he can save them and be there for them. We, we absolutely need to care about those needs and do what we can. But what often happens is some people will come to Jesus during this time. And they will call out to him. But they're not really wanting him to save them and to change them. They don't want a savior and a lord. They want someone that will fix the immediate circumstances of their lives. They want someone that will fix their marriage. They want someone that will fix their finances. They want someone who will heal their diseases. And if Jesus will do that, praise the Lord. Hallelujah. But if he doesn't do that, well, they don't stay around. And I think that's one of the reasons you find people that that jump from church to church, to church, never really devoting themselves to one place and getting involved. You always find people who are selfish and who come to Jesus with wrong motives. They didn't come to Jesus as Lord and Savior. They came to Jesus to give them something, to fix them something in this life. And as long as the church is seeming to meet that need... And everything is the way they want it, then they will stay. They may well be involved and, and do things. But the moment they cease to, the church ceases to be what they want, or the moment their circumstances change, they suddenly become dissatisfied. And they, they leave and they go somewhere else. Now, the thing is, there may well be problems in churches where you have to leave. But when you find one person that's been in 15 or 16 different churches, I mean, at what point do we look at ourselves and say, maybe the problem isn't every other church. Maybe the problem is me. Maybe 
I'm just seeking Jesus for the wrong reasons. Maybe I want someone to fix my circumstances and to ease my life, but I don't want him to be my Lord and my Savior. I want him to fix my problem, but not make any demands on my life. The problem with that is that's not Jesus that we find in the Bible. He says, if you want to come to me, you've got to deny yourself and take up your cross. And when the Holy Spirit, when God is dealing with us to bring us to Jesus, we come with the right motives. Right? Because the Holy Spirit, what he deals with us about is our sin, our lack of righteousness, and the judgment to come. And he convinces us of these things. But he, he convinces us that we have sinned against the holy God and are guilty in the courts of God. He convinces us that because of our sin, we have no righteousness of our own. And then he convinces us that when we stand before God in judgment, we will not be found innocent. But he doesn't leave us there. He also shows us that there is righteousness available to us because of Jesus Christ. He points us to the cross and he says, because Jesus has died for your sins and has risen from the dead, you can be saved. You can be forgiven. You can know God. And those who come to Jesus in that way. They follow him always. Those people do not fall away when the circumstances of their life become hard. Because they didn't come to Jesus to fix the circumstances of their lives. They came to Jesus to be Lord and Savior. They know that in this life they will have troubles. But Jesus has conquered the world. Let me show you the best example of people who come to Jesus in this way. Paul or Peter has preached in Acts chapter 2 about Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit has come. Peter has preached just a fantastic message about who Jesus is and why Jesus is important. And he calls for a response. And here's what the people say. Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. And they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? Peter said to them, repent, let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And you shall receive The Holy Spirit. Notice they didn't make any demands. If you'll fix this, I'll follow you here. It was just what do I need to do? Repent and be baptized. And they got baptized right then. They they just gave themselves to it. One of the decisions we have to make, a decision point we have to deal with. Why do I want Jesus? Because the thing is, I would love to tell you, if your marriage is in trouble, come to Jesus and he'll fix it. If your finances are failing, come to Jesus and he'll take care of it. If your health is breaking, come to Jesus and he'll heal you. The fact is, that's not true. Good Christians die from diseases every day. People are devoted to Jesus And their finances still fail. One spouse can be devoted to Jesus and the other one can turn away from them. And the marriage will still break up. There is no guarantee Jesus will fix the circumstances of your life. And if that's all that you're coming to him for. You will not make a lasting decision for Jesus. Do I want someone to fix my life now? Or do I want someone to forgive me of my sin and be my Lord and my Savior 
and give me eternal life. It's a decision. You have to answer, why do I want Jesus? And then the final, I must decide if I will follow Jesus. Notice what happens in verse 66. And from that time, many of the disciples went back and walked with him no more. His words were too hard. Not they didn't understand them. They just couldn't deal with it. How do we live and deal with only Jesus? How do we deal with the fact that we have to be born again and take up our cross? I just, I can't accept that. And I like what Jesus says to the twelve. Jesus said to the twelve, Do you also want to go away? Think about what he's doing there. Jesus has, has taught something hard that offended people. They really did not like what he said. And so they said, if that's, what, if that's the way it is, we're not following you anymore. And they leave. And Jesus doesn't call them back. And he doesn't change his teaching in any way. Instead, he looks at the twelve and he says, are you going away too? What, what decision are you going to make? He doesn't tell them, okay, obviously this didn't work, this whole eat my flesh and drink my blood thing, so we're not going to say that anymore. Right? Take up your cross, let's lower that to, you know, look at your cross. He didn't change it at all. He just said, here's who I am. Here's what I demand. What are you going to do? And he left the decision in their hands. Now, Peter gives just a fantastic response. Lord, to whom shall we go? For you have the words of eternal life. Also, we have come to believe and know that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Peter said, I didn't follow you because it was easy. I'm not following you because you gave me bread. You have life. You are the one. You are Lord. You are Savior. And I am in it no matter what. That's Peter's decision. And I want to show you one of my favorite passages on this that I think is challenging. Turn to Mark chapter 10. It's page 771 if you have a pew Bible. Mark 10 and verse 17. And this is the, the story, what we call the story of the rich young ruler. And Jesus is, is on the road and he's going on. And a man comes running and he kneels before him and he says, Good teacher, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? Now, again, this is like they sought Jesus. This seems like the perfect response. In other Gospels, we find out that this guy was... He was rich, he was young, and he was influential. He was a rich, young ruler. Right, so, this is a guy who has influence with important people. This is a guy who's respected in the community. This is a guy who has money that can fund the mission. Right? He can take care of what needs to be taken care of. This is like your prime candidate. That you want to be a part of your movement because they can influence others. They can give lots of money. I mean, this is, boom, if that's all you want is just a lot of money and a big following, this is the guy. What do I do? Jesus says, 
Why do you call me good? No one is good but God. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and your mother. And he answered and he said to him, Teacher, all these things I have kept from my youth. Now Jesus told him the Ten Commandments, but he told him, the ones that dealt with our relationship with man. He totally excluded the ones that deal with our relationship with God. Right? So, you know, treat others right, basically. A man's got, I did that, I've done that always. Now, look at verse 21. And then Jesus, looking at him, loved him. And I want to stop there. Because Mark is the only gospel that brings up the fact that Jesus looked at him and he loved him. So what Jesus is about to do is motivated by love. Right. Jesus didn't hear the guy make this claim about having kept all the commandments and go, I need to bring him down a peg or two. I'll show that self-righteous little snot. No. Jesus looks at this kid and he loves him. And love motivates him to tell this kid what he needs to hear and not what he wants to hear. And so he tells him, one thing you lack, go and sell whatever you have, give the money to the poor... And you will have treasure in heaven. And come and take up your cross and follow me. Sounds familiar, right? Take up your cross. Follow me. Deny yourself. This kid has all this money. He wants the money. Deny what you want. Do what I want. Follow me. In verse 22 it says, And when he, he was sad when he heard this word. And he went away sorrowful. For he had great possessions. So he was brought to a decision point. Would he follow Jesus? Could he accept and embrace the words of Jesus? And he could not. And so he turned and he walked away. But as important as the young man's response is, Jesus' response is even more important because look at what he does. And he turned to the disciples and said, How hard for those who have riches to enter the kingdom of God. Here's what I want you to see what Jesus did. He let the kid go. He didn't tackle him and give him noogies until he surrendered. He he didn't tell him, okay, give 10% of what you have to the poor and come and follow me. Okay, give some of it, right? Just think about, think about giving some of it. Jesus did not alter his teaching, not one jot, not one tittle, not one thing. Instead, he said, this is what it means to follow me. Can you do it? And when the young man said no, Jesus let him walk away unsaved. I want you to know Jesus wants you to turn from your sins and to believe in him and be saved. Absolutely, he wants that. That's what the cross was all about. But it's not a negotiation. We're not negotiating like we buy in a new car. Okay, Jesus, I'll do this if you'll do that. And, and I'll give you this and we'll go here. Jesus says, here's what I offer. And here's what I expect. Take it or leave it. And in that moment, that decision point, it is completely up to us. And if we choose to turn and to walk away, Jesus loves us. But he will let us make that point, make that decision. He is not going to lower his standards for you. He is not going to lower them for me. And so we have to decide. Will I 
follow Jesus? Am I willing to deny myself, take up my cross, follow Him? I mean, that is, that is your decision. That is my decision. This is what we have to deal with. So in our, in our moment of decision, we have to decide about His words. Can I accept and embrace them? I have to decide about why I want Jesus. Do I want a Lord and a Savior? And I have to decide if I will follow Jesus. Yes or no. There is no third option. The disciples, the large group of disciples, they made their choice. They said no. The rich young ruler, he made his choice. He said no. But the twelve, they made their choice. And they said, we'll follow you to the end, Lord. What decision will you make today? Let's stand as our musicians come forward.